Good morning, gang. Welcome to CHF Devotional Tuesday. We're looking today at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. I hope everybody's Tuesday is off to a, a good start. My Tuesday indeed is off to a good start. I'll give you a chance to flip to your to your phone. I'm guessing that's what you might be using to uh, follow along if you do follow along. Galatians 2 verses uh, 11 through 21. I see Nancy and Bonnie and Barb. Good morning all. Uh, I don't see everybody's name there, so if I don't call your name out, no offense. Uh, we're going to be, again, just uh, as a plug, actually I'm plugging a couple things today, not because not I'm being paid to do it, just because they're really great resources for you to have. First of all, this is this this book right here. This edition right here is huge in helping my understanding and anybody else's understanding of this letter of Paul's to the Galatians. If you don't have this, stop by the fifteen seventeen publishing uh, website, or you can get it on Amazon. Look this up. It is so good, so helpful, such a great resource. You want this in your hand. So I reference this. I will use this throughout our time. Secondly, this last week, my goodness, we were blessed, blessed from the heavens with two awesome books on the same day. I'm guessing many of the members of this audience have got picked them up, but uh, of course I'm talking about Chad Bird's new book, Upside Down Spirituality, which is, um, uh, uh, like everything Chad writes, it just, uh, excellent. And, uh, and then Seculosity by David Zoll. They came out on the same day. What providence is this? What grace is this for us? Both immensely helpful in different ways um, for your understanding of, uh, especially with, with uh, Dave's book, uh, Understanding of Culture. I mean, of the people I know, I don't know anybody who really is able to dissect culture and Christianity's interaction with it better than than Dave, and so he's very much worth picking up. And then Chad and his understanding, especially of the theology of the cross and the Old Testament, being that he truly is a scholar of the Old Testament, you want what he's throwing out there. So both of them, both of them, go get them, spend the money, they're well worth it, and uh, be enriched by it. All right, all right, all right. Yes, Barb, you mentioned Donovan's book is on the way, Crucifying Religion. It's, of course, going to be uh, excellent. As Donovan is, you know, the, uh, is a scholar himself, and you all know that who have watched his devotions uh, on Wednesdays. So, all right, so all that's, all that's coming. By the way, Dan and I have a new book coming out, too, but, you know, that's, that's later on. That's, but it's coming. There is another one. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. And uh, I'm just going to take this piecemeal today. You know, usually I do a little bit more uh, of an outline. You know, I, I, sometimes the devotions are even uh, maybe a little preachy, a little sermon-ish, you know. But sometimes it's just good to kind of take it piece by piece. And so that's what I'm going to do today. So let's just read this together. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. So to bring you up to speed, um, Paul is talking about an instance in which Peter, uh, uh, he was with Peter in the church in Antioch. Antioch was a church famously known for being very, very, very Gentile. And when Peter uh, was there, he got really comfortable 
with a lot of the things that the Gentile Christians were doing, namely eating uh, good, delicious, yummy bacon and ham sandwiches and whatever else Gentiles ate with no twinge of conscience at all because they didn't have the Jewish background that felt uh, very uncomfortable with that uh, after all. I mean, we, we remember in the book of Acts that even after uh, Jesus frees Peter to eat all these different foods, he still is very hesitant because it was just so embedded in the culture of Judaism. Uh, so Peter, though, goes to this Gentile church in Antioch where there's this real movement happening, and he's enjoying their food, enjoying their customs, and then people from Jerusalem come, people come from the church headquarters, and Peter shrinks back. And so we pick it up at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, I mentioned last week that this wouldn't have been a problem if it wasn't for the reason he did it. The reason he shrunk back was because of fear. If he had done this just out of consideration for his brothers and what might make them uncomfortable, well, Paul affirms that in the book of Romans and in 1 Corinthians. Paul affirms us being caring for our neighbors and our brothers and sisters like that. But that's not what happened. Instead, Peter is given the impression that if you're going to be a good Christian, then you shouldn't eat this Gentile food. And so he's acting hypocritically. And so Paul goes on, verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So lest you think this is just Paul kind of picking on Peter, he even calls out his best buddy on the mission trail, Bar Barnabas, for acting this way. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, or maybe a better way of saying it was not consistent with the truth of the good news, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And now Paul goes into uh, an elongated speech that is, I think, one of the clearest explications of how it is God actually justifies people. He goes in because of what Peter is giving the impression of, that it's by what you eat and what you don't, that you might be saved. Paul sort of rehashes what the gospel is really all about and how it is not in any way by works. And so he says, verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me just stop there, because that is, there's a lot of important things going on there. First of all, when he makes the distinction between, uh, when he says we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, what he's, what he's alluding to is that the fact is, like, yes, there's a distinction between Jews and Gentiles and that we were born with the law, we were born with the covenant, and uh, that might be what we're prone to looking to for our identity. But then in the next verse, he goes on to say, yet we know 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is uh, getting rid of anything that separates Jew and Gentile. He is pointing out to Peter here, Peter, by accepting Jesus, you have forfeited that, that precious distinction that you've always wanted to hold on to as a Jewish guy, and you are now a member of the same group, totally dependent on Jesus Christ apart from works of the law. That's what you have to confess. Now notice how many times, I, I mean, it's amazing to me how much Christians want to find a way to make it all about their works. I mean, we're all prone to it. We're all prone to it. We, we want to somehow measure whether we're saved enough, whether we're uh, sanctified enough, whether we're uh, glorious enough. But Paul, in case you ever fall into the temptation, and you will, Paul says over and over again, we know, listen to how many times he says it, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, and quote, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Skip on down to verse 19. We'll read it here in a second. Uh, he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And then, for good measure, verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So the first point that Paul wants to make abundantly clear in this speech to Peter and in what's recorded for us, thank, thanks be to God, is that your salvation, your justification, is has to be, has to be entirely 100% by grace alone, without exception. You can't contribute a thing. You can't contribute a thing to it. That's Paul's big point. And by Peter doing what he was doing with the food and treating the Gentiles like he was, he was implying that it had something to do with how you ate or how you behaved or what you did. And Paul says, no, we need to give up on that thought entirely. It has to be all grace or none at all. All grace. Now, some will say, oh, that's... that's." Um, you're being, you know, it's hyper grace or you're emphasizing grace too much. Folks, I'm just reading the text. Like I'm just, I'm reporting to you exactly what's written. I mean, Paul couldn't be getting me any more clear. Not by the law, not by the law, not by the law, not by the law. All right. Let's go to verse, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners is Christ then a servant of sin? So the question is, I mean, if, if, um, if we come to acknowledge, I mean, if justification by Jesus alone means that we have to acknowledge we're sinners, does that mean that Jesus in some way or another is serving sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, he's, he's, he's saying, I... No, it's not a servant of sin. Jesus isn't a servant of sin. Jesus just uh, reveals to me the truth that I am indeed a sinner. 
There's no way of avoiding that. That, as a matter of fact, that's what the law does. See, we use the language often that the law kills and the gospel makes alive. And so Paul will go on to say, for through the law, I died to the law, verse 19, so that I might live to God. In other words, he's saying, listen, I strived to follow the law. And the more I strive to follow the law, you can find him talking about this, especially in Romans chapter 7. The more I strive to follow the law, the more I would, it revealed to me that I was a lawbreaker, that I was a transgressor, that I was a sinner, that I wasn't being perfect. Remember, folks, the demands of the law are not partial. The reason it has to be entirely by grace is because the law says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It doesn't say, do the best you can as your father has done the best he could. No, there's no wiggle room. This in the law must be preached in such a way. This is what Paul is talking about. If, if you try to be saved by the law, you have to do everything perfect from conception all the way to death. And we all know that ain't happening. It hasn't happened. And so it has to be all grace through and through. Now, how, how do we receive this grace? Well, Paul mentions all throughout the passage that it's by faith. So he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, by the way, um, that is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. You would do well to memorize that and placard it all over your life. It is no longer, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, does that mean, does that mean that, I mean, I just said that it's all grace, all grace, all grace. But now I'm saying, well, you have to have faith. Does that mean that, is faith a work? Is that something that you have to produce? Some people talk about it that way, but good news, folks, even that is a gift. Even that comes to you by grace. So the way it sets up, the way the whole thing is set up is like, God's like, all right, I'm going to save these people, but they need to have, they need to believe that I'm going to save these people. They need to believe I'm going to save them and that Jesus is the way. I know what I'll do. I'll give them the ability to believe. You don't believe me, Go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Even the faith you need to receive the grace that he has, all gift, all gift, all gift, all, all gift, folks. So, it's constant, constant gift. And this is Paul's argument here that everything we need is found in Jesus Christ alone. Some even translate, and it's a fair translation, that when Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God, it could be translated, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. How about that? I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. I mean, it just if there's any tendency to want to put this thing back into your hands, into your control, Paul's like, nope, I'm, no, I'm snatching that back. It's got to be all God. Nope, you're not going to be the one in charge here. And 
this is why. This is why. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul's argument is summed up this way. Listen to me. It has to be by grace, through faith alone, because Jesus Christ is the one who accomplished it all on your behalf. And if you deny that it's by grace through faith, then you're denying that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient enough. And who are, who are you, O oh man, O oh sinner, to dare say to God that the blood of his son is not enough, is not sufficient? No, no, no. No, God, I thank you for the blood, but I'll take it from here. What are you thinking? What are you talking about? No, no, no. You will not take it from here. Jesus Christ has died and said it is finished. Sorry, done. It's done. It's finished. Your salvation, your justification is wrapped up completely in what Jesus has done for you, O sinner. So this is the reminder that Paul needs to give Peter. This is the reminder that we need every day because, again, we're prone to wanting to go back. I mean, we do the same thing that Peter does. I've done the same thing many times. We all can find ourselves acting hypocritically. And when we do, we need the same, same reminder. No, 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 no. Eric, Bonnie, Barb, whoever it is out there, it's never been about what we do. It's always been about the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. All right, gang, that's it for this week. Hopefully you're encouraged. Next week we will get into Paul encouraging people <laughs> to do some things that are a little shocking for us to read in the scripture. Namely, if people are so infatuated with circumcision, why don't they just go all the way and emasculate themselves? Yes, that's in scripture. Yes, it's the Apostle Paul who says it. We'll talk about why next week. Until then, God bless. Have a great week.